Good morning again. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16. Again, we'd like to look at the whole chapter here. So I'm going to start out by reading the whole chapter um, so we can get the, the storyline, the whole, the whole picture, and then we will look at it. We'll break it down into to parts and analyze it a little bit more. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a an Egyptian servant woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, How now behold, Yahweh has shut up my womb from bearing children. Please go into my servant woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. After Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant woman, <clears throat> and gave her to her husband, Abraham, or Abram, as his wife. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. Then she saw that she had conceived. So her mistress became contemptible in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, the violence done to me will be upon you. I gave my servant woman into your embrace. But she saw that she had conceived... So I became contemptible in her sight. May Yahweh judge between you and me. And Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant woman is in your hand. Do with her what is good in your sight. So Sarah afflicted her, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of Yahweh found her in the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of, on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's servant woman, where have you come from and where are you going? And he said, I am, she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of Yahweh said to her, return to your mistress and humble yourself under her hands. Moreover, the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed so that they will be too many to be counted. And the angel of Yahweh said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because Yahweh has heard your affliction and he will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him, and he will dwell in the face of all of his brethren. Then she called the name of Yahweh, who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. 
Now Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray your blessing upon the reading of your word. Lord, as we look into this passage, may we glean things that would help us, help strengthen our faith, help us to to live a more godly life, help us to uh, live a a life that is more pleasing to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a, a record of an event in Abram's life that paints a, a pretty negative picture of Abram. A pretty, it puts Abram in bad light. It's just full of drama and frustration. The inner workings of a uh, a, a close relationship. And it's just sin, it's outworking of the flesh, the sinful flesh. But it's also a picture of uh, weak faith, impatience toward God. And it's a picture of man taking matters into his own hands and, and forcing God's hand. Now, up to this point, we've seen Abram had pretty strong faith. It, there might have been some doubting uh, a little bit, but Abram's faith has been strong. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see that he is a man of faith, and he's known for his, his faith in God and his strong faith. In fact, Paul said that he is the father of our faith. Now, many times we don't like to, we don't like to present negative pictures of ourselves, especially putting it in Scripture and Holy Writ like this. Um, in fact, we are uh, told in Scripture that we are to to uh, to have our behavior as excellent before the unbeliever, um, and it doesn't really help anyone. It doesn't lift anyone's spirit to dwell on other people's sin, and we don't do these things that uh, because we don't want these things to define us. And this is not what uh, defines Abraham's life. It, at least that's what we would want to, to, not what we would want to know Abraham by. Many times people want to uh, label Americans as, uh, in, in just a negative way and paint Americans in, in bad light, just things that we've done in the past. And there's no doubt that things have been, uh, that we have done wrong things in the past. We acknowledge that and we move on. Those things do not define us. This incident in Abram's life does not define him. If this is the only thing that we knew about Abram, then maybe that would be the strongest influence. But we know so much more about his strong faith and his dependence upon God. Um, this is not, this negative picture of Abraham, but it is, it's not really the, the point in the passage to just draw up uh, or, or pull up Abraham's sin and, and dwell on it uh, to expose all the dirt in Abraham's life so that we can feel better about ourselves and so that we, our faith is, is not so weak. Um, that point would be for, uh, foreign to Scripture. It's not what we see in Scripture at all. In fact, we all we know that we are sinful. We don't have to prove that fact. That's not something that we have to drudge up. We all know that we're sinful. We're all murderers. We're all liars in our own minds, in our own hearts. We know. We're all given the opportunity to be adulterers. We would. We are very sinful. 
But our salvation does not depend upon our righteousness. It doesn't depend upon our merits at, at all, our good works. No, our righteousness is dependent upon the works of Christ. The works of Christ is what saves us. It is not our own works. We know how sinful we are. In this passage, we see that uh, it's easy for us to make uh, this passage, or it would be easy for us to make this passage also uh, about Hagar and Sarai, the the tension between them, or the tension between Sarai and and Abram. We, We might be thinking maybe that's the point of the passage, but we would be wrong again on that point. Uh, the point of the passage, the purpose of the passage is, is simply one thing. And that's just giving us the details around uh, Ishmael's birth. And this is what Moses, who is recording this, wants us to know. Israel needed to know the, uh, what, the, uh, what the circumstances were around uh, Ishmael's birth. Because that was their cousins. Now this is 400 years before uh, Israel was a, a nation. But they needed to know, they needed to know that it was due to the lack of faith in, in Yahweh that Abraham uh, took matters into his own hands. And out of that, conceived a, a child that was not part of the covenant, not part of the covenant that God made with Abraham or Abram. Even in this negative picture of Abram, though, we see God's grace. We see that God knows the circumstances of uh, our lives. We see of Abraham's life. We see that all things work together for good. We see that that, uh, God gets the glory for all of these things. But nonetheless, we also see that our faith sometimes is pretty weak. It it exposes even the strongest of us, the the strongest of God's believers... Uh, a strong faith is what we see, but sometimes we, we're just weak in our faith. Um, Christ said the spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. And Peter, of course, was just known for jumping into things. and he, he thinks his faith is so strong so often, but he falls on his face so often. And James just tells us trials is what produces uh, an enduring faith. And faith is like a, a muscle that has to be constantly exercised. And Ishmael came into being because Abram lacked faith in God. And that's important for us to, to know. Because of his impatience with God, taking matters into his own hands, making bad decisions, Basing things upon pragmatics rather than than principles. And we see in this passage that we see sin acting out based upon a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. And the result is Ishmael is born. Now, there's a principle for us that I want you to want you to see uh, should be on the screen here uh, under the principle here, here it is. Our doubts concerning the circumstances of our life is not uh, has no excuse. Is no excuse for our lack of trust in God. I'll say that again. I, the, the doubts 
concerning the circumstances of our life is never an excuse. It's not an excuse for our lack of trusting God and not trusting God. Even in our weak faith, folks, we can trust we can trust God. Even though our faith may be weak at times, we don't act on that faith. Even though our faith is weak at times, we don't act on that kind of weak faith. Now, what, what does it mean to have weak faith? And what is, how, how do we respond to, to when we recognize within ourselves that I'm vulnerable here? What do we do? Now, the passage is easily divided into three little sections here. We see the storyline. We'll see that in the first six verses. And then we see God's uh, intervention, gracious intervention here, and then the final results of Ishmael's birth. So, let's look at the first six verses. This is the storyline. The storyline here. In verse 1, Now Sarai, Abraham's, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. And she had an Egyptian servant woman whose name was Hagar. Now, let's stop right there. Now, what you'll see is it kind of jumps right into the middle of the story. In fact, this is where the, the story is at its peak. Um, if, if For those who are paying attention, this is at the, the climax. It's, it's almost at a fever pitch emotionally, probably in, in the, the tent of Abraham or Abram and, and Sarai. Tensions are are running high. Something needs to be done. In chapter 12, God had promised Abraham uh, that he was going to make him a great nation. He moved him from the Ur of the Chaldeans to the land that he was promising to him. And he's going to make a great nation of him. And he blessed Abram in many, many ways. And that was ten years earlier. And, And now he finds himself childless. That's the very thing that you have to have. To be a great nation. And he doesn't have that. Now, there is a, there's an urgency here then. There's starting at the, this climax, there's a, in fact, it's a, a drummed up urgency though. It's an artificial urgency. Satan likes to do that to us, doesn't he? He wants to make us think that, that we need to push, that there's an urgency here. Sometimes the flesh just does that on its own. But the, the sense here is Abraham and, and Sarah maybe are looking at each other and saying, we're not getting any younger here. We don't have any children. Something has to be done. Maybe we misunderstood God's plan. Uh, something's messed up somewhere. We need to, we need to do something. And so they rush into a bad decision. There's a warning in there for us, isn't there? Certainly there's a warning. And then we see Sarah's bad idea in verse 2, the first part of verse 2. So Sarah said to Abram, Now, behold, Yahweh has shut up my womb from, from, bringing child, uh, from bearing children. Please go into my servant woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Now, this is the idea. And she's proposing, this is a, a new idea. Maybe, maybe it's through this, uh, this way that, that God is going to, to bless us with a child. Now, where does this idea come from? There's a couple of, of, of things. It could be from the influence of the Egyptian uh, handmaiden. Uh, maybe just the Egyptian culture. They would, do, they would do that. If you were born in that family, uh, that would be included in, as an heir. But it could go back to chapter 15 where 
uh, in verse 4, where God says to Abram, he's clearing up, clarifying to Abram in Abram's mind what's going to happen here. And he says, this one will not be your heir, but one who comes forth from your own body will be your heir. So he just makes it very clear, this is going to be from Abraham's own body that's going to be the heir. And so maybe they started thinking, well, it's Abraham's body, but maybe it's not Sarah's body. So maybe they're thinking like that. And again, bad decision. But it was based upon pragmatics. This is just practical. They're just logically thinking through uh, these things. But what they're not doing is they're not trusting in God here. Now, what's leading up to this idea? I think there's some bad theology or or at least some weak theology here. Because you notice that Sarah says, Yahweh has shut up my womb. Now, is it true that God is is controlling over those things? Who is uh, who gets to have children and who doesn't? And yes, generally, that's good theology in a generic sense. God is sovereign over those things. But she also is forgetting God's promise. She knows God's promise. And that, that leans to a, a, a right theology, but a wrong application to that theology. And over, they're just overthinking this. There's really no problem here, is there? There's really no problem. It's just a matter of timing. God will fulfill His promise. Now, how much, how much bad theology comes from this one idea that God is unclear? That we need to rush into something. That, that God's word is, is not clear enough. So, so we have to, we have to make it up. We have to fill in the gaps. And so often we come up with bad theology, bad thinking. Not, not a life of faith in God, but a life of pragmatics. So the decision's made. In verse two, at the end of the, the verse, it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He listened to her. It's not just he heard her. This is, acting out upon that uh, that hearing that essentially he obeyed the words of of Sarai now the final decision was Abram's he was the one that was in charge of this but he's also the one who was responsible and he was the one that heard from God he knows better he's he heard the promise direct from God he heard God's words and God was speaking very clearly. I believe this idea comes from Satan himself. And, and Abram acted upon this. Bad advice. Bad advice. Men, there's a lesson to be learned here. We, we may be the leaders of our home, but we're also responsible to make the right decisions in our home. We, we may have some authority, but the, the, the real emphasis is in Scripture is upon the responsibility we have, not just the authority that we have. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, there's some verse three. We have just a clarification verse just so that we're all clear. There's a summary verse in verse three. And I I like this because this is just so clear. The the, the emphasis is, is right where it should be after verse three. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Ten years he trusted the Lord. Ten years he had, he had waited uh, patiently for the Lord, as he should have. Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her woman servant, and gave her to her husband, and Abram had, uh, her husband Abram as his wife. Summary verse. That's what it is. Bad decision. 
bad decision, instigated through uh, Sarai, maybe thinking she's doing the right thing. Uh, 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 Abram agrees to this, and he makes a, a bad decision here. Again, God is not clear, not unclear here. He is very clear. Um, once that decision is made, then things start to happen. Bad things start to happen. The problem it gets even worse. Um, and we see the unplanned results here in verse 4. In verse 4, what, well, what we see is that sin affects every person here. No one is sinless in this situation. There's sin at every level. We see Hagar, and it's laid out here for us very well. Hagar, um, we see in verse uh, 4, so he went into her. That's Abram. They had uh, sexual relations. And she conceived. Then she saw that she had conceived. So her mistress became contemptible in her sight. Now, what does that mean? The word contemptible means to become small. What's happening here in the heart of Hagar is she's swelling up with pride and and she's looking down upon her uh, mistress. And she is now a wife status. In fact, she's beyond wife status. She is conceived. She's proven that she can conceive and it just elevates her mind. There's pride going on here. And of course, that, that uh, rubs Sarai the wrong way. Then she saw that she had conceived. Uh, so her mistress become contemptible in her sight. And Sarah says to Abram, May the violence done to me be upon you. Now, there really hasn't been any violence done yet. Or the word is, is wrong. Uh, but she didn't trust Hagar anymore. And he, she said, if there's anything done to me, then it's, it's on you, Abram. I gave my woman servant into your, in, in your embrace. But she saw that she has conceived, so she became contemptible in her sight. I became contemptible in her sight. And she goes on to emphasize it. May Yahweh judge between me and you. She's putting the blame on Abram. And now Abram's he's to blame. But what we see here is some blame shifting, but we see probably some jealousy, some certainly some anger, um, and and certainly uh, not trusting Hagar. And Sarah is frustrated, frustrated with Abram and Hagar. At the beginning of verse 6, we see Abram's response. But Abram said to Sarah, I behold, your servant woman is in your hands. Do to her, whatever is good in your sight. So Abram, so Sarah afflicted her again. So now you see even more of the sin of Sarah. She afflicted her, and Hagar she fled from the, her presence. So you just see sin, sin at every level, sin in every heart, sin exposed, and sin affects relationships every time. It affects relationships. In fact, the relationship between Abram and Sarah, frustration, tension. May Yahweh judge between us. There's, there's not unity in that marriage anymore. There's, there's friction. Uh, the, there's uh, uh, tension now between Abram and Hagar. Abram and Hagar in verse 6. 
Because he, she is now demoted. He is not protecting her as he should. And he's putting her back down to servant status. He's probably confused. What do I do with this mess? And then you have tension between Sarah and Hagar. Of course, that's, that's to be expected with this mess. I mean, only God could figure this stuff out. Who's to blame? What's going on? This is a, a terrible situation. When you're, if you were trying to set these three down and counsel, what would you say? It would be a mess. You would have to depend upon the wisdom of God to, to figure this out and, and to find out what to do. And of course, Hagar flees. She leaves. She runs away. She's uh, heading back south down to Egypt in verse 7. And the angel of, of well, let me, let me stop right there. So, so you see frustration with all of these relationships. Um, and uh, Sarah's afflicted now. Hagar, Hagar leaves. Now, when the principles of God's word replace, are replaced by pragmatics, and that's what's happening here. The principles of God's Word. They're not relying on principles. It's all pragmatics. What was practical? Things go wrong. When you take matters into your own hands, things just become a mess. And we see that story after story in Scripture. When sin is involved, bad things happen. The result never turns out the way we think when sin is involved. That's just the way it is. Sin causes tension in every relationship. We live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith in God. Faith in God's promises. Faith in in God's word. Faith in God's principles. Not by pragmatics. We don't just do whatever we want to do. We cannot just live a life that we want to live based upon how I feel. That's what we see here. We see acting out on weak faith. Not acting in faith is what? Is dependence on our own understanding. That's exactly what it is. They're, they're leaning on their own understanding. They're leaning on their own logic, their own information. They're not trusting God. <clears throat> Sin makes us do stupid things, doesn't it? It does. It, it makes us make bad decisions. It, it brings confusion in, in the whole situation. And who's responsible for this mess? And of course, exposes weak leadership on Abram's part. Probably a softness toward his own family. So that's the storyline, the first six verses. Then we see God intervening here. God uh, unexpectedly intervenes. Look at verse 7. Now the angel of Yahweh found her in a spring. This is Hagar, in a spring of water in the wilderness by the springs of the of the, on the way to Shur. Now, that would have been south of Palestine. She would have been headed south, probably through the desert. She would, she would have been uh, at a, a, as many watering hoses as she could find. She would have probably been there just trying to replenish herself, but she was headed back home. And he said, this is the angel of Yahweh said, Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, now notice, he notices her, he recognizes her right off, and she knows that he knows me, uh, and he says, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Now, 
what we see here is these. I, I want to just notice that the angel of Yahweh, of course, that's the first thing you notice. Who is this? Uh, he, he speaks not so much as a messenger of Yahweh, but God himself. In fact, if we look at chapter at verse 10, he says, I will greatly multiply your seed. And so he's talking like Yahweh himself. And there's a, a little bit of confusion there with this. But this is probably a, um, a theophany or a, a maybe a Christophany where Christ is seen from the New Testament. He's seen in personhood or in a human form in the Old Testament. And we see this in Genesis chapter 22 when offer, uh, Abraham was offering up Isaac on the sacrifice. The angel of Yahweh came, the angel of the Lord. Jacob, when he was leaving Laban, we see it when Moses with the burning bush that was the angel of the Lord, but he spoke as Yahweh. Balaam's donkey was the angel of the Lord. Three or four more times in the, New, the Old Testament. It's probably a Christophany or a Theophany where uh, Christ was there in person. And, and she kind of recognizes this. Uh, from the text, we'll, we'll see that. But there's three things I want you to notice. Number one, he asked her a question. Where, where have you come from? Where are you going? He's, she's got the sympathy here. She's the one that's being played as a pawn here. She's kind of the victim of this whole situation. Um, and he knew her. And she recognized that he knew her. And it's as though God were intervening. And I, I love that. God is, is running to comfort her and defend her. She's kind of the underdog in the story, you might, might say. Now, she's not lacking in sin, don't get me wrong there, but God has some mercy upon her. And then you see that uh, this angel of the Lord begins to ask questions. So, I'm sorry, ask questions, but then he gives instruction in verse 9. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, Return, return to your mistress. That's the first instruction. Stop running away. Go back and restore that relationship. Take up your responsibility as a servant uh, toward your mistress. Go back and restore that. Go back to your position. And he says, and humble yourself. He's recognizing the pride there. Humble yourself under her hand. Now that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes we, we don't want to humble ourselves. Sometimes our we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and we need to just be taken down a peg or two. Go back and humble yourself, he says. And allow these things to play out. And then the third thing I want you to notice is that he also provides comfort for her. I love that. This is, this is the God of creation comforting her in verse... I say this in verse 10 and 11. Moreover, the angel... Of Yahweh said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed so that they will be too many to be counted. The angel of Yahweh said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. So that's the gender and you shall call his name Ishmael. That's the name. And we know that he's going to be the older brother. That's his status. Uh, and he's going to have many brothers and sisters under him or uh, in his clan. And then there's further comfort. It says, his name shall be called Ishmael, 
And then he gives an explanation why Ishmael, because Yahweh has heard your affliction. Ishmael means a God who hears. A God hears. Verse 12, he goes on to say, and he will be a, a wild donkey of a man. This is his character. And his hand will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And he will dwell in the face of all of his brethren. So there you have it. That's some encouragement here that she's going to have a son. She knows the, the name. She's going to have multiple, at least, grandchildren. His, his character is going to be a, a wild donkey of a man, he says, aggressive, independent. But his name will be, his name will be Ishmael. God hears. I love that. So every time, every time that Sarah or Hagar calls him Ishmael and, and brings her to him, she's, she's reminded, God heard. God heard. I was just beside this spring and crying out to the Lord and God heard. God heard her situation. He, he was aware. He knew what was going on. And then, so every time she hears that name, she will know this is God. God heard. God heard in this situation. He's a God who hears. Now folks, that, that brings comfort to our, our lives, doesn't it? God loves for us to pray to Him. He does hear. He does know the circumstances in our life. He is a God who hears. Hannah cried out, oh Lord, give me a son. She gets Samuel. Many ladies throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes we think, God doesn't know the circumstance of our life, but God hears. God hears, folks. When we cry out to Him, He wants us to pray. He wants us to cry out. In fact, He will put us in situations so that our faith becomes strong, so that we cry out to Him. Cry out to the Lord because He is a God who hears. And we can go throughout Scripture and find passage after passage where God heard the prayers of His people. There's one last thing that we need to know. So God intervenes. We see the storyline. God's gracious intervention. And now we see the birth of Ishmael. And it gets even better in verse 13. Because she responds to this. And this is just wonderful. Then she calls the name of Yahweh. She is, she is naming this God. <laughs> She is naming the name of Yahweh. Probably she had heard of this God. Maybe from Abram. Maybe just his influence. Uh, when he would come back and say, Hey, God spoke to me today. And, and here's what he's like. And she's developing this understanding of this God. And she wants to add to this. This is a God, she says, Name this God Yahweh who spoke to her. She says, You are a God who sees. Not only Ishmael, a God who hears, but a God who sees. For she said, I have, I even remain alive after seeing him. She, she's recognizing, I've been in the presence of God. He, he saw my circumstances, the circumstances of my life. And, and therefore she names the well after him, the, the, the spring after him. She says, well, the, the springs therefore called uh, Bir Lahai Roy, uh, the God who sees, the God who sees. 
And it's between Kadesh and Beard. And they probably would know Moses' day where that would be. It goes on to say, So Hagar bore uh, Abram a son. And Abram called the name of the son uh, who Hagar bore Ishmael. Now, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, what a story. What a story. And what I love seeing is the, the faith of this Hagar. Naming Yahweh, naming a, a, a God who sees. He is a God who, who sees. El Roy is the, the title. God who sees. And she says, I even survived. I heard my master talk about this God, but I spoke to him myself. He saw my circumstances of my life, and I survived that encounter. He was very gracious to me. He's a God who who sees. I have to remind myself sometimes, and I want to remind you, that God sees, folks. God sees the circumstances of our life. He, he saw that the hidden treatment, what was going on inside the tents between her and Hagar and Abram and uh, Sarah, and he knew the whole circumstances. You know, he's a God who sees. He, he saw Cain's treatment of Abel. He saw Joseph in the prison for two years. Maybe Joseph cried out to the Lord, Lord, do you see what's going on here? Can you even see in this dark place? He saw Paul in prison, didn't he? Many, many times. God sees. God saw the Egyptians, or I'm sorry, God saw the uh, children of Israel in Egypt. They're probably crying out. 400 years they were slaves to the Egyptian. God sees. God sees the mother who's staying up with those children night after night, trying to just get get them to sleep. God sees. God sees the finances or the lack of finances in in your family. God sees. God sees the struggles of our life. He sees. He knows. Listen, folks, that's the greatest comfort to my life is that I serve a God who is not just distant. It's not just a a belief system. But no, He is involved in my life. He knows what's going on in my life. We cry out to Him. He hears us. He invites us to cry out to Him. And He's a merciful God. He's a good God. Many times we cry out and say, Oh God, do you see? Oh God, do you do you hear what's going on? Some have turned this El, El Roy... This name for God, uh, the God who sees, they, they've turned that into, they, they would interpret it, He is a shepherd. Because it's the same kind of idea. A shepherd, what do they do? They oversee the flock. He's a shepherd. And I like that. He's not distant. He's involved in the sheep's life. Are you not glad, folks, that we serve a God who sees that, that that's His character. See, He sees what's going on in our life. He hears the cry of our heart. Sometimes we can't even articulate it. And yet we know that He hears. We always know that God hears our circumstances. We know that the inner workings of relationships, 
that, that nobody else knows, that conversations that take place that nobody else is uh, aware of, but God knows. God knows. He knows the, even the conversations of our own heart, doesn't He? He's a God who hears, a God who sees. He sees the frustrations of our life. He sees the hardness. He sees the bad decisions of our life. The sin in our hearts. Yet He's loving. Folks, we're not perfect people. Abraham didn't have perfect faith. We'd love to just think he he was a perfect guy, but Abraham had weak faith. That faith that had to grow, had to learn and experience a God who sees, a God who hears. And Abraham had to grow in his faith. And folks, he is a God who hears us. My encouragement to us today is just we take courage in that. We take courage in knowing that we serve a God who hears us. Little little tiny church, Daniels, West Virginia. Little tiny state, West Virginia. Big country. We serve a God who sees us. And folks, we cry out to Him daily. We're so dependent upon Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for just these thoughts, these ramblings. Lord, what a difficult story. It's not about the sinfulness, but it's about Your grace, Your glory, and how You could turn a circumstance around to to make it something incredible. Lord, thank You for being a God who sees, a God who knows, a God who can change the circumstances on a dime, a God who can comfort our hearts even through funerals. You are are great and good shepherd even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death you see you see the circumstances of our life and lord may we take comfort in that lord thank you for hearing our cries lord even this week i pray i pray that we cry out to you knowing that you hear we pray these things in jesus name amen